Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. In the Gun, episode number 59, the Rich Rodriguez episode. Not much else needs to be said. Big Big O's old coach in Morgantown. Jed's old coach at Glenville going to join us here just momentarily. This is ITG, your new favorite WVU football podcast. I am Wesley Euler with the best teammates in the business. Jed Drenning, the signal caller, and Owen Schmidt, the runaway beer truck in this episode of ITG. As always, brought to you in part by our friends at Bet Online, Folks, Bet Online is your number one source for all of your betting needs. You can get the latest odds, lines, and matchup reports for baseball, boxing, golf, and more all summer. BetOnline continues to be the fastest and easiest way to place your wagers, including live betting and your favorite casino and card games available to play right from your phone. So head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today to get in on the action. Make sure you use the promo code BELIEVE when you sign up for your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's B-L-E-A-V at BetOnline, where... The game starts. Gentlemen, quickly, before we get to our conversation with Rich Rodriguez, I'm really looking forward to this. We're going to have some different eras, some different teams represented here. It's, in a lot of ways, I think, going to be the least structured episode of ITG we've ever done, but that's how we're going to want it to be. Hopefully, some some great conversation and some things that you can all glean from this. But a quick headline before we uh, before we do get started and welcome Coach Rod here. Uh, Big 12 announcing the media preseason all-football team. Um, of course, this really gets going next week with with media days and meetings and all those things taking place down in Texas at, at Jerry World. But today, the uh, the all preseason, the, the all Big 12 preseason team coming out your offensive player of the year, Jalen Daniels, the quarterback out of Kansas defensive player of the year, Jalen Ford out of Texas. Good to be Jalen's here in the Big 12 this season and uh, newcomer of the year, Treshawn Ward, the running back from Kansas state, our own Zach Frazier did get named to the office. This is just, there's not first team, second team, third team. This is the all preseason team. That's the only way they do it at the beginning of the season. And Zach Frazier was one of the offensive linemen that was named. He uh, was the only West Virginia player named Um, few guys uh, from the new big 12 schools, if you will, but just a couple, Uh, one from BYU, two from Cincinnati. That's it. No one from Houston, no one from UCF. Uh, so you're all Big 12 preseason media team. Uh, Jalen Daniels, Jalen Ford, Treshawn Ward. Any surprises to you there, Jed? I want to see if Jalen Ford holds up at the end of the year. Uh, and, and the reason I say that is typically when you have teams leaving a conference, uh, the powers that be kind of frown on that fact and sometimes even hold it against kids. So preseason's one thing. Let's see how many Oklahoma and Texas kids are postseason. But I tell you what, Jalen Daniels, uh, he made the most of his opportunities a year ago. That four-game stretch where he didn't play, Jason Bean was a quality backup, but he wasn't Jalen Daniels. And you saw saw a drop-off in their level of play, right? So, uh, I mean, if not Jalen Daniels, then who? That's what I would ask at this juncture. So, Jalen Ford, not a big surprise, but let's see if he holds on. I mean, I remember back in 2011 when we were transitioning out of the Big East, I still think Geno should have been the Big East Offensive Player of the Year, but a certain running back from Cincinnati instead because they were put and we weren't. That type of thing tends to happen. But once again, uh, expected newcomer of the year, Owen, uh, running back from K-State. So just when you think, how they replace the dudes. (laughs) Here we go. Right, Owen? Yeah, the dudes is loose and the pros now. He's going to get a shot. Well, speaking um, of Jerry, speaking of Jerry World, yeah, down there in Dallas, yeah, out down in Jerry World, son. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean, let's see if uh, Jalen Daniels was it a fluke 
last year? Was it, uh, or is it legit? Um, and like Jed said, um, see if the big boy can hold up uh, over the course of the year. And uh, congrats to the the big ugly Zach Frazier, right? Representing WB. Absolutely. Yeah, big honor and uh, live up to the name. He's got to be on that list for sure. Certainly, uh, I think if you're just ranking from a prospect standpoint, he's at the top of that list for WVU. Um, and we're all real excited to see what Zach's going to do this year. But there's your uh, preseason, all preseason Big 12 team there is announced as picked by the Big 12 media. And of course, we will have media days and, and kind of the unofficial official unofficial start of the season when uh, when everybody gathers down there Talking in season. Texas. Yeah, something something like that. Uh, this episode <laughs> this episode of ITG also brought to you in part by Toothman Ford. Folks, we all know cars cost less in Grafton. Make sure you're getting there and supporting uh, Toothman, who's doing such great work with WVU and NIL. Check out their inventory online before you go. Cars cost less in Grafton. We've got to get to a break here because waiting for us is Owen's old coach, Jed's old coach, Rich Rodriguez. Uh, a man who took this program to heights uh, very few times seen in the past and ever since. He will join us when we come back on the other side. We will hold the rope with Coach Rod. Back in the gun here, and we are joined by a special guest. If you're a WVU football fan, a Glenville State fan, honestly, if you just love college football, this man really needs no introduction, but I'll give him a quick one anyways. It is Rich Rodriguez. Of course, he was the head coach at West Virginia University from 2001 to 2007. He was the national coach of the year in 1993. He's been uh, conference coach of the year in five different conferences uh, the West Virginia Conference, the Big East, and the Pac-12. And uh, Jed telling me this one, which was pretty remarkable. Ten times uh, offensive players while playing under Rich Rodriguez have been named Conference Offensive Player of the Year. Quarterbacks, running backs, wide receivers at three different positions. Uh, Coach, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. And Bro, we got no beaches here. This is in the mountains. Actually, Jacksonville is very similar you know, location type of that as West Virginia's mountains and it's in the country and you know it's a smaller school, it's only about ten thousand students right now. But we're loving. I got a great staff. You know, last year the first year is always the hardest, and the kids bought into it. They had a good season. We couldn't go to a playoff or a bowl game because we're in transition from one double A to one A. Uh, but we went nine and two, and and uh, really it kind of established the right culture. I think nowadays. I mentioned it earlier, Jay, when we were talking, you know, so much is getting sacrificed in college athletics from a culture and environment standpoint um, because of transferring and NIL and all that. And we made, we said from the start, we are not going to sacrifice our culture for anything. Um, and, you know, we, we've, we've got the goalposts to move, we've got to move with it. But at the same time, we've got to have the right environment. And I think we've established that, and that's going to be important going forward. Well, one of the critical things, you're trying to do there is take a leap from the one double a level FCS up to the FBS level. I was, I was telling you, coach, my, my first college game was in a rainstorm at Jack state. I'm dating myself now back in 1988 <laughs> when I was playing at Sanford for Terry Bowden with Jimbo as my quarterback coach. And even back then they were a division two powerhouse in the old Gulf South conference. I mean, they had a heck of a football team. They had a quarterback named they were running the wishbone quarterback named Dave Gollage went on to play some defensive back for the Redskins or at least spend some time on their roster. Eric Davis 
who spent uh, that time with the Niners, a fringe Hall of Fame player opposite Dion for that 94 season, the other corner. He was on that team. Bill Burgess was the coach. I'm not mistaken. I think the stadium might even be partially named after him now. But for a long time, they've had a great tradition at the Division II level, and then he moved up to the FCS level as a playoff team. Here's what I want to ask you. This taking over this program has been a little bit different. You were nine and two a year ago, jumped right in and, and lit things up, but you're used to rebuilds. Okay. You, you guys were five and zero oh in league play last year. You're now part of a con a part of a team that's won 49 of its last 51 conference games. That's one of the craziest stats I've ever seen. And you're going to try and maintain that as you take this massive leap into a schedule that's going to include seven bowl teams and, and all these successful programs. And, and what, what's the template to do that? You know, it's, it's funny, Jeff, we're our, you know, you, a lot of times usually when a coach gets hired, it's usually at a rebuild situation or unless you were staff and they already were winning. Uh, but we, we know it's, you know, it's kind of typical of what we're doing on campus. We're building a brand new football facility, a $40 million deal and a new cafeteria, new dorms and, and all that so it's under construction and that's the same thing that our program is it's under construction and we've had we've we've had some we've got some guys on the team that were playing one double a that were probably one a french players and we've got to get the most out of them and then recruiting going forward we got to recruit group of five one a players in order to win and have success and, but uh they've always had success here at levels they've had this is the biggest part there's a whole bit a lot of different uh football between one a and one double a division two and all that but I think maybe that's one reason why it was so appealing for me and for them to hire myself and my staff is because we know what that looks like uh, on the division. Yeah. And it, it's hard. It's harder now to navigate than ever before, especially if you're not one of the schools that has huge NIL collectives and all that. But at the same time, you know, we think we have enough of a type of environment, education, location, uh, development that we can have good football teams and it's going to be a lot of fun. I, I've thoroughly enjoyed, I've probably, I've said this many times since I've been here a year and a half, I've had as much fun with these guys and this staff as, as, um, as any place I've ever been. It reminds me a lot of West Virginia of the importance of the program to the, the location, to the town and to the area. So there's been a lot of parallels to that, but we keep evolving too, Jed. You know, I tell everybody, I said, well, are you running the same stuff? We ran with Jed back in Glenville and, <laughs> and, and all that. And I said, well, there's some changes, but I said, it's like a coaches sometimes brag about having 30 years experience, but they never grew or evolved. So they just have one year experience repeated 30 times. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, we're learning and trying to find things that are different. And so I feel that that we're better, I'm smarter, no more now than I did a year ago and certainly 10 and 20 years ago. Yeah, that's crazy, Coach. I, I, I think, to me, how are you able to maintain the hard edge with today's modern athlete? Like, how, how, what's the process there? I mean, are you still that guy in practice uh, with, with that intensity, or is it, there you go, there he goes, <laughs> dog, there he is. He put on the hat. <laughs> Dude, slogans and you know kind of fluffy stuff people we talk about two things earn success because nowadays everybody wants a handout we, we talk about earning success and hard edge and people don't what is a hard edge it's 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 really uh a certain mentality and an attitude that not everything's always going to go well whether it's in your personal life in your academic life in your athletic life 
All right. But you're going to be able to overcome anything and everything that happens. And you're going to be a tough guy about it. You're not going to let the, the, the toughest circumstances take you down. And in football, there's a lot of that. And we talk about hard edge all the time. And we, you know, that's one of the things that, you know, not just the hats, but we give out shirts and all that. And we bring back guys like we talk about Jed Drenning, talk about Owen Smith. And Ty, this is the way, this is the advantage they had, why they were so good, because they were talented guys, athletic guys, but they had an edge about them. And they played with that edge all the time, not just some of the time, but all the time. And that, to me, I think is the key to our program. You know, one of the things about it has been when you go back to the early days of what we were trying to get going at Glenville, right? You, you were there a year before me and the Chris Georges, and we had several transfers that second season. But but uh, you talk about that hard edge and that group that we had. We always felt one thing was for certain. If there was a way that we could convince the powers that be to determine the outcome of this football game, by a fist fight at the 50 between the head coaches, we liked our chances, right? Because we, by the time we arrived on Saturday, we honestly felt the worst was behind us. We really did. I mean, that's part of the, the approach that you've always taken. And I'm sure that some of the edges had to be taken off in more recent years, but, but the approach that you've always taken, uh, it does, it preps you for the worst of what you're going to see from a situational standpoint and otherwise on Saturday. But what I want you to talk about coaches when we first installed this system, okay, one of the reasons that I transferred to Glenville to play for you uh, after, you know, my time at WVU, I was at Sanford and then WVU, and then I transferred down to Glenville to play for you. One of the reasons was the expectation was you were going to run the Florida State multiply offense, Bobby's offense, just like you had the year before, right? Well, I show up a week before camp starts, all right, my, my neighbor was Dean Hood, Hoodie, you know, head coach at Murray State. Now, you were part of the Pioneer Bowl against Murray State last year, right? But he's telling me, he's like, hey, did you meet our new coordinator? I was like, what are you talking about? And he's like, oh, we got this guy, Mike String Springston. We're going we're gonna to install the run and shoot and put a bunch of twists in. I said, like, wait, we're, we're going to do what now? That's not what I signed up for. I was livid. I was like, are you kidding me? So you and I had to sit down and study Houston Gamblers tape. We had to study Houston Oilers tape, all the Jack Pardee stuff, the true old school run and shoot. And to think, we used to pitch and catch 50 times a game, and Chris George put up the most insane numbers you've ever seen. That that's evolved from that up through what you did with Sean King at Tulane, up through what you did with Woody Danzler at Clemson and Owen and Pat and Steve at West Virginia, Denard at Michigan, you know, Scott and Khalid at Arizona. It's just you really, you used to say, Coach, if I can find a system that's more difficult to defend, trust me, I'll install it. And you know what? You have evolved mightily through the years. This is kind of a shadow of what we used to do. There's still elements, like you said, but talk about that evolution and those key critical changes at each juncture. Yeah, it is. It has to, it was unique. And when we first were doing what we were doing, Jed, I, you know, I remember when I was first decided to do that, when you came down, I said, you know, what, as a defensive coach, basically what I was prior to that, what was the hardest thing to defend? It was we're usually when, you ever watch a game and nobody does anything until they get in a two-minute offense right before the end of the half, the end of the game. Then they go up and down the field. And you're like, why don't you try to do that? Well, I'm like, that's a great idea. We can make conditioning a factor. And that's always been a factor. And so how do we package conditioning? Well, with you and, and with Chris George and some of those guys, it was, you know, getting about 10 or 12 route packages thrown all over the place and trying to make them cover the field and rush the passer 60 yeah. times. Then as we've evolved and people begun, became better at defending that and all that, all right, we started to say, okay, there's some other things that you can do 
far as the quarterback uh, run game, the RPO stuff. and and But the thing that's never changed was the tempo. And that's the, still to this day is the one thing that I think that we work on the most and probably take the most pride is that we can play faster than anybody in the country, whether it's run or pass, and play faster and harder. Because I do, I still think conditioning is a factor in football, and a lot of coaches don't realize how much of a factor because they don't want to run their guys during the season because they, they want to keep their legs fresh. Well, we don't run them after practice either. But the way we do practice, which is not long, and Owen, Owen knows this, all right, we're going to get after it, and we're going to be high tempo of it. And what has evolved in the last few years is getting guys that maybe could play couple different spots and maybe could play a tight end in line and play tight end that wide or could play fullback and run like a tailback like Owen or he could play fullback and block an ISO or something so we're getting uh more you know we recruit toward that system where we can do a little bit of everything but the tempo and playing with a certain edge is always I don't want to say it's a secret sauce but that's always been the thing that we that's kind of non-negotiable no matter what we bring in or no matter what we're facing. I want to toss back even another question, but I wanted to interject here. It's like, it's remarkable to me. You've come from, I mean, I used to have a belief that if I took more than three steps on a play, something went really wrong. Right? <laughs> I mean, something we, we, we were trying to do something we shouldn't be doing if I had to take more than three steps to go from that to Pat White as the leading rushing quarterback in the history of college football is absolutely remarkable. But, but you made some of those changes coach, even within the framework of playing pitch and catch 50 times a game. I remember in year two, you streamlined the pass protection schemes. We, we put some more wrinkles in with our man adjustments in addition to the old trips route, the dragon route and the bow route out of doubles. But even within the framework of doing that, you already making changes, but Owen, what do you got? Well, uh, the big thing here, kind of coach touched on it, was the conditioning part. Are you still heavy uh, with the weight room side of things? Because I feel like our success uh, at West Virginia, too, was that marriage between uh, our conditioning and our weight room intensity, coupled with what we were, you know, doing on the field as far as scheme. What I mean, is that still an evolution process as well? That totally has to be part part and parcel of everything that we do because as you know and I had Mike Bars I've had great strength coaches everywhere I've been and I got a really good one now a young guy in Blake McCall but you can't just say okay you turn it over to a strength coach for four or five months and let him do it you have to be heavily involved when they when they do the intensity level the importance of it has to be stressed daily and I know every coach says that, Owen, oh, every, every strength coach says it, every head coach says it, but do they really mean it? Do they really go down to guys and work out? Are they keeping records? You know, I've, I've seen a couple of times where guys don't even, it not, you know, what's your bench press, what's your squat, what's your power clean, all that, the end all, the be all, but you want to have guys being competitive. You want to have guys, okay, they started off here, and at the end of their career, they did this, you know? And I can remember when you were breaking power clean records and throwing – 300-some pounds 10 times over your head, and people were just amazed. I said, you didn't do that when he's first there. Look how hard he's worked. He's, he's breaking records. And it was a big deal to break a record in a weight room. It was a big deal to be competitive down there. It was a big deal to run the law school hill. We wanted to see who was going to make it not going to make it. And it and it it and sometimes it weeded out a few guys, but most of the time guys elevated to more than what they thought they could do, ever thought they could do, to be in the best version of themselves. And ultimately, as a coach, that's the number one goal is we want to make sure every one of our guys right, gets the very most out of themselves 
while their time with, with with us. You know what I mean? Like, I would hate to have any player that I had come five or ten years down the road say, Coach, if I would just worked a little bit harder, I could have done this or I could have done that. That would be the worst thing to happen. I want our guys to say, Coach, you got every damn bit of me. You could you use you know, every bit of I could that I could do, I got, and we got out of you. And so that's, that's you know, we use you as an example uh, all the time. I say, this is a guy that, you know, he's, you know, he's a lot more athletic and talented. He gets credit for but some bitch. We got, we got everything we could out over Schmidt during his time at West Virginia. And, you know, it was, you know, it paid off for everybody. Coach, I, oh, man, I thought that was a, a big reason for our success. Uh, definitely. And real quick, coach, is, uh, is Rita still doing the nacho dip? Yeah. <laughs> That's, I'm going to tell her you said that. She, it's to die for. They, they, they love that Miss Rita's nacho dip. And then I got coaches now that say, you know, it's usually to somebody that had some adversity or something like that. I have a coach saying, Coach, I have, you know, I have an uncle that's not feeling too good, or I got a grandpa that's ill. They just make up some kind of stuff to get Miss Rita's nacho dip or something. But yeah, she's the expert. She's the expert in that. I love it. I can take hey, back to when we were dressing or lining the field west on Friday nights before the games at Glenville on Saturday, right? And Rita was down there helping out. Now, I don't know if she was actually pushing the line, but she had those cups and doing all that stuff over there in the fence along behind the end zone. And yeah. I'll go in midfield. I'm like, she's eight months pregnant. That's probably not a good <laughs> well, hey, I was just gonna say before we, you know, move on to, to some mountaineer memories and, and all those things, I, I did want to ask you, you know, you, you mentioned this briefly, but you know, when you look at your resume, you started on the defensive side of the football, you know, uh, defensive backs, outside linebackers, defensive coordinator. And I think that probably surprises a lot of people. Rarely do you see someone go from, you know, the defensive side of the football to becoming one of the most innovative minds of an era in college football. What made that switch for you from your first few years, uh, you know, at Salem and then, and then being at WVU as an assistant on the defensive side of the football to going to Glenville state and then ending up, you know, again, kind of being, being an offensive guru. Part of it was when I was, uh, you know, most, most of the time when I was a young coach, you know, I would, Youngest head coach in America at 24 and the youngest fired at 25, right? When, when Salem dropped. When I went to Glumble, it was probably the perfect time to be an offensive coach because they were had like six shut, they were shut out like six times yes. a year. Some point. So if I got a first down, I was gonna get a standing ovation. So I'm like, well, if you're gonna be a head coach, you know, everybody's gonna want to know about offense. So I went over there and I was intrigued. I was an open, you know kind of uh, to any kind of scheme. And then when I hired Mike Springston and we looked at the run and shoot and I started to have a, let's, let's add some tempo to it. You know, we thought we could have a pretty good quarterback in Jed and then moving in the shotgun and doing some different stuff. Really, it's kind of evolved. And ever since I got into that, it made me, uh, I think, be more, uh, I guess, inquisitive about how do you score points and how do you put pressure on teams and to this day, I still call the plays because I like doing it, but I got other guys that can do it just as well. But I also involved in every special team, you know, and just like I was at West Virginia, I, you know, I, I, I don't coach every special team per se uh, individually, but I coach them all collectively. And, and I go to every special team meeting and cause that makes me touch every player on the team because if you're coaching special teams. So I still enjoy, enjoy that part of it. And somebody asked me, so when are you going to give up the play calling? I'm like, when I don't think I can, you know, be as involved in the day-to-day -day preparation, all that. I'll, I'll, I can let somebody else do it, whether it's Coach Smith or whoever. But I, right now, I'm, not, I'm able to do that, and I thoroughly enjoy it. And then I really trust the rest of the coaches that they follow through with it. 
See, what a lot of folks might not understand is when we were installing the old run and shoot, okay, and I'm, I'm about as athletic as this coffee cup that I'm holding in case anybody doesn't know, but the old run and shoot, we were under center, okay, and what had to happen was you were reading the flat player as you progressed through your footwork. And by the third step, you've made three reads. Was that flat bear player going to, we used to say, does he hang? Does he jam? Does he slide? Or does he angle? Well, I could never coordinate those throws with my footwork. I couldn't get him to pair up. <laughs> and so finally we were playing a team after I've been sacked 32 times in two games, right coach? It was West Lib and I think state. We didn't have the whole system in. We didn't have the main conversions building. We, we weren't equipped for that early on, like the first handful of games. And we were doing this. Well, we were facing Wingate, who was third or fourth in the country. And they beat you guys 63 to nothing the year before. That's the that's the game in which you famously shattered the window in the PE building door and, and didn't watch the tape. But uh, that week, you came up to me on Monday and you said, hey, if I put you in the gun, how many snaps do you want to be in the gun? And I said, coach, I'll run the clock out in the and you put me in the gun and the rest is history, right? You've been in the gun by and large ever since outside of a handful of situational exceptions. But, but again, it's interesting. There's always stories behind any of these wrinkles or evolutions that, that you pick up on and to your credit, you take that and build from. You know what? I think sometimes too, as coaches, everybody's got egos and all that. But as I said, over the last, you know, 15, 20 years, or even since I've been gone since Morgantown for 15, 16 years, I said, there's, there's, if there's looking at something that's maybe better or something that can enhance what you're doing, why not try it if your players can do it? And I think it's constantly under the, the uh, research uh, of coaches. Okay, geez, that looks like a pretty thing because it fit what we do. You can, you can have too much stuff and try to do everything, but does it fit what you do? Can you coach it right? Can you teach it right? And is it going to be a consistent thing that you want to do uh, throughout the entire season? So that's what we try to do. It's like, you know, it used to be like Jed, you know, just whether you're running zone read and all that. Defenses have changed too. They used to just fit the front side and then the back side, tell the guys, run to the ball, watch the cutback. That's all you did. Well, now they fit the front side one way, they fit the back side a different way. And so you got to have a different uh, a philosophy offensively if they're going to have do different, two different philosophies defensively. So, you know, with, with the advent of all the technology, and it's so easier now to watch film, break down film, and and all that kind of stuff that you better be on top of what you're doing. And I don't, you know, sometimes schemes don't win games, players do, but it's really players executing schemes. So you can have, you can be too complicated, you can be too simple at times, but you can, some coaches try to be the smartest guy in the building, you know, and they, they overcoach it, overteach it, and you just slow to your players down. I tell our coaches, I'll do anything we can unless it slows us down. If it slows us down mentally, uh, in all three phases, then we can't do it. And that comes back to coaching and be able to put your guys in the right spot. Oh, and I've always said that I couldn't have come close to accomplishing anything that I did offensively if I had to play today. I mean, because back coaching, we were doing it, it was almost cheating. It was almost stealing, right? I mean, it was so revolutionary. Defenses hadn't seen it, right? Uh, but now it's like the first half of your career, the first 15, 20 years was spent kind of in that realm. And the last 15, 20 years has spent as everybody else does it, it becomes more mainstream. Uh, and so you have to get a little whole lot more creative to be productive. But what, what do you got, Big O? Um, since I'm going to have some of my high school guys definitely listen to this podcast, and I, Coach, what what are pieces of advice that you you look for in, in character um, and potential 
uh, for kids upcoming, you know, obviously going to the next level from high school? That's a good question, Alan. I think nowadays, and there's it's so much, it's so it's I don't say it's easier to get recruited, but you can get your stuff out there. You can make your own highlight film on Huddle, you can send it to coaches and all that. But they want to remember one, how they need to be a true competitor. They're not gonna be the only one that wants that spot. And and two, they gotta they gotta love football, not like it. You know, I've been places where there was, you know, out west, you know, there was a there were some really, really good players, talented guys. A lot of them just kind of like football, didn't love it. And it's a tough sport for tough people. And if you if you just kind of like it, and you like the other stuff, like you like the pit photo shoots and all that kind of glamour stuff and posting pictures on it on Twitter and Instagram and all that, that's why you play, then you're playing for the wrong reason. You got to play football because you love it and need it. It's too hard of a sport to play it uh, for attention, so to speak. And so to me, I tell your guys, listen, you love football. Love the hard part because the hard part is is part of what makes a football player a football player, right? Yeah. Enjoy that sucks, you know. And that that's to say, you're never going to be fun running the law school hill. It's not going to be fun doing gassers or up downs, whatever it is. But you got to realize I'm doing this because I'm going to beat that guy across from me when we play on Saturday night or Friday night, whatever the case may be. Coach, I think I know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Uh, obviously you've had a lot of big wins in your career. Uh, I mean, we could go through West Virginia. I mean, you think the Sugar Bowl, the Gator Bowl, you think knocking off a number three Virginia Tech team, uh, go out to the Pac-12, uh, obviously. You go on the road to Outson Stadium and knock off number two Oregon. You upset USC at home in Arizona. What is, what would you regard as the biggest win of your coaching career? I, I mean, I, I have a guess, but I want to hear what you say. Yeah, I think there. Uh, if you look at it totality, you know where I was, national impact and totality of what what it probably meant and how it felt right afterwards. I think the two, the two that stood out the most would be Sugar Bowl Georgia because that was so improbable, and Glenville State beating Central State Ohio. There you my, go. There you go. Uh, Guys, thanks. let's set the stage. Uh, that was AI <laughs> football. Now that's not scholarship football. Instead of scholarships, you have what we called equivalencies, right, coach? In other words, we had basically, correct me if I'm wrong, eight equivalencies, eight scholarships to divide up among an entire roster. Now, Central State didn't play any home games, okay? They had all these deep enriched endowments from celebrities, and they would take that money and put it into a scholarship fund. And now bear in mind, there were no scholarship limitations in the NAI. So division one teams today have 85 scholarships. Coach, didn't Central State have 90 full rides? And we had eight and we beat them. Hugh Ooh. Douglas, guys. I think we're playing somebody with more than Notre Dame. Yeah, Hugh Douglas. Yes. Yes. In the national playoffs. Yeah. Hugh Douglas was on that team. And now We'll tell a little story about Hugh Douglas, but you couldn't focus too much on him because their other defensive end, Milton Jones, went on to play for the Giants. I think they sent 11 guys to play some level of pro ball. But, guys, the first play of the game, and this is Coach Rod through and through, Hugh Douglas, now i got to be G-rated here, okay? This, this isn't Mackey's <laughs> podcast. But Hugh Douglas was number 53. He was 260 pounds. He was the wedge buster on their kickoff team for crying out. All right, so first play of the game, he's playing defensive end, number 53. I mean, I, I, I'm still shivering thinking about it, right? Coach Rod designs a play in which we had nine, was it eight guys? Nine guys hit him 
on the first play of the game. We basically just ran the ball to his side. And we had motion heading that way. We had two pullers heading that way. And and I just stood back and handed it. And now the name of this play was like Rip Y Motion F blank 53. That was literally what I called in the huddle. I called it just like that in the huddle, except without the blank, okay? <laughs> and so we had eight or nine guys hit him, and he's just shedding them off like a statue. And I just remember all it did was piss him off. I mean, he's screaming like this, like, bring it all on. I don't know what you're trying to walk us through that, coach. <laughs> We gotta, we gotta send a message to him because holy cow, I don't know if we can block this guy. Yeah. Seven or eight guys block him, and he beat seven or eight guys and made the tackle. And then he comes, <laughs> he said, "Bring them all on, coach." I'm like, oh, I can't. Uh, yeah, phenomenal. But it rained so much. I remember when I was like, man, how, how miserable it's going to be now, wet. But it rained so much it helped us. It slowed him down a little bit, and yeah. here we plays and. But I just remember winning the, winning the game was so improbable for where we were at like three years before then where they were about ready to shut the program down, I guess, and uh, to get to that point to get to the national championship game. And, you know, we just had a had, had kind of a, I guess, uh, you know, a neat group of guys like yourself and Chris and all those guys that just loved football. And I just made it, made it to where I'm like, okay, this, this coaching thing can be okay because, you know, Winning, winning makes everything great, right? But that's what was... it's all about. We, we, we had a huge win on the road against Bobby Petrino's dad in Montana in the first round of the playoffs. We went out there, and they, they were big a big option-heavy conference, and they really didn't know what to do with us offensively. We kind of threw and ran all over them. And, and, and that, then we had a bye week. So we had two weeks before the national semifinal game against Central State, who hadn't lost in three years. That's the week Gibby got married. That's Saturday. That, that bye week's when Gibby got married out in Sanfork, or as us Glenville folks know, Dirt Spoon, we call it. But uh, so what I remember is for those whole two weeks, Coach, you spent two weeks. I mean, you, you I, we got the sense that you were pissed off that we recognized how good they were. Because we got, we got back on the plane in Montana, and we knew we were playing the winner of the Southwest Minnesota Central State game. And that was the day West Virginia knocked off Miami. It was in 93, right? We heard two scores when we got on the plane. We heard Miami beat West Virginia beat Miami, so we were all fired up. And then we also heard Central State just beat Southwest Minnesota 65 to 7. And we got them next week. So he spent two weeks pissed off every day in practice telling us, I don't want to hear it anymore. They put their pants on just like we do. We're just like they are. We're just like they are. We can beat them. We'll whip their ass. We'll do this with it. And then there was a point in the game. I want to say midway through the third quarter. And it's a tight game. It's back and forth, defensive struggle, like one-point game. So we punt, and I come over to the sidelines, and Rich pulls me aside, and he looks around, makes sure nobody else is looking, and he leans in and says, Jed, we can actually beat their ass. And I was like, wait a minute. What the hell have you been saying for two weeks? <laughs> no, I mean it. We really can. <laughs> what, a, what a sales job. Odds would have been if it was a bet on it, but it wasn't a whole lot of odds. And it was what it was so neat was, that, you know, the, you know, Glenville, and I still love that little town. And you know, one of my best friends this day is Mike Morris, who is who is everything and anything to that whole community at school in West Virginia. But um, just just to see the joy that 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 you bring for not just our players, but for the people like Ike and and the people in the town that support us so so well. It was that was a neat neat deal. The same thing was the Georgia game, though, I can tell you. I mean, nobody really expected us to do much in SEC this and that. And then we go to, like, a couple of days before the game, there was a SEC team. We went to a game. LSU. 
the Chick-fil-A bowl or whatever. Yeah, and they beat the crap out of somebody, and they weren't even the best team in the SEC. Georgia was, and so everybody was saying, well, you got no chance, blah, blah, blah. I kind of thought I had a sneaky feeling that just based on practice, because I remember whether it was a Tuesday or Wednesday practice, there wasn't a single missed assignment the whole practice. I'm like, this is unbelievable how the guys were dialed in. I'm like, holy cow, they are dialed in. And so I was more nervous, I think, than the, than the players were. But uh, and they took that with Susan Wood came out and got on fire right from the start because it was that whole week was like that. If you remember, oh, it was we were dialed in. Brad Nestler yeah. said you looked like the, the uh, cat who swallowed the canary. Owen, what do you remember all week you looked like that? Owen, what do you remember about game planning, the scouting report? Let's, I want you guys to talk about what that looked like, the guys that could help you for Georgia, the guys that could hurt you for Georgia. What did that look like? I mean, honestly, you know, kind of like Coach was saying, I mean, it was really, you know, what the media was at least saying was the David versus Goliath type type game there. But, you know, in the back of our heads, you know, we were dialed in for practice. We had guys on our team who obviously had speed and we matched up, you know, kind of what we thought um, overall, not too bad. Uh, but I just, you know, it's hard for me to really remember, uh, you know, all the hits, you know, uh, just kidding, but, uh, no, it, it just, I think it was, it was just so much going on. It was, it was going to the, the, you know, we were going to a, such a huge ball game. Uh, everybody was super laser focused, dialed in. Uh, we also cut loose a little bit too. Um, I remember I got a, I was running through pictures the other day when I was looking at, you know, just thinking of questions. Um, I saw a big a picture of Big Oak on this swing. We were down at this bar and, uh, and uh, whatever, I can't remember what the, what the place <laughs> in Atlanta is called, but I just remember it was such a good time. And we were just such a, the team was so bonded. And I think that was, that's honestly what I miss the most about playing and I've gotten to play for a lot of great coaches, uh, you know, obviously, you know, with Coach Rod, but then, you know, post or uh, football in the NFL. Uh, but it, the camaraderie and the familyness that, you know, we had, um, the tight bond, it, it, there was just nothing like it. And, we, you know, we all hung out together. We all celebrated together. It was it was just one of those things where we were ready to go play this football game. And when you kind of have your back against the wall and no one really believes in you, which we were always kind of the underdog that year, it just kind of really lifted us up to go, you know, really stomp a mud hole. Yeah. You know, we had, I was, uh, you know, every team has been special, but I think like even at West Virginia, you know, those early times, I think you remember we was, I would say we had a bunch of misfits. You know, it all kind of collected together. I mean, look at this Owen Schmidt guy. He walked on. He was walking down my hallway. I'm like, what the hell is this guy doing? And he said, well, I'm from Maryland, but he's at some Division three school in Minnesota. And he just wants to – or Wisconsin just wants a chance to prove himself. And then, you know, here he goes. He does that. And and Pat White was a was a misfit. You know, LSU uh, wanted him as a DB. Nobody wanted him as a quarterback. Stevie Slayton, Maryland dropped him. And so he fell into us, you know. Uh, all those guys, Big Oak, I mean, nobody offered. We were only Division One school to offer Garen Justice. He wound up being a great player. So we we had a bunch of myth, misfits that were good, better players than people thought coming out. But they also had a certain attitude that they wanted to prove themselves all the time, not just in the Sugar Bowl, but all the time. And I think that's what made it special. And, and we try to replicate that. I try to replicate that every year. And, 
and you try to get a few guys like Owen, like those guys, and then then build your program that way. And I still think you could do that. I know it's it's harder now with, with the different ways guys are getting pulled and all that, but I still think players, no matter what the situation is, they want to be around guys that that like that I don't like Owen, that want to prove themselves, that 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 don't want things handed to them or given to them. And and it's that old walk-on mentality that that Owen had that that a lot of us that I was a walk-on had when we when we first got started. And and so uh, I think that, to me, it's harder to keep doing it. But as, as a coach and as a staff, we owe it to our players to keep that mentality. You know, it's one of the things I noticed when Owen and I compare notes. It's uh, at Glenville and at Davie we, we we both felt we were parts of teams that were incredibly tight-knit and close families that could kind of go to hell and back together. And, and those are different teams spanned a decade and a half apart. So the, the common thread would be you, right, between that. But here's what I want to ask you. Everybody talks, they hold the sugar bowl up to the light and look at it from so many different angles. Again, I was, I was hoping to investigate some of the things from a scouting report or personnel standpoint. I mean, you guys obviously punched them with the outside zone. That was your bread and butter. But people talk through and through about Phil's fake punt and about how that call came about. And if the look was there out of the spread punt formation. Now, Owen, you were one of the guys on the field, you and, and May Grow, and I can't remember who else, but you were one of the upbacks, but personal protectors there. But, but here's what I want to ask you about, Coach. The play before that was a third and 11. And here's what I want to ask you. You called a design draw to Pat. Now, was that exclusively to play it close to the vest, nothing high risk, you don't want to turn it over there and you at least want a chance to line up for the punt and see what happens? Or... If you go four verticals on third and 11, it's probably incomplete. It's a high-risk play. Now it's fourth and 11. Are you still running that fake punt? Or on third down, are you kind of angling toward that and saying, hey, can I cut into that from a yardage standpoint? Pat's going to pick something up here. We get lucky, he punches it and gets the first down, moves to six. But if not, he picks half of it up. Now that's on the table if we get the look we want on fourth down. Was that part of the thought process? Damn, Jed, I would have just got a delay a game penalty if I thought that much. <laughs> yeah, that would really, <laughs> really got him off guard, wouldn't it? <laughs> not about that much. Uh, other than we probably, I know at the time we were having, we were struggling to stop at them. And so I do yeah. remember they're going to go 80 or 50, you know, let, let's, and we had worked the fake all week that if they had a man, they turned and ran with our guys in man coverage, so to speak, that we had numbers and we could do it. And, and I knew Phil wasn't going to run 30 yards, but all he had to do was run seven or eight and get a first yeah. down. I remember this, that Herb Hand was on the box and he was supposed to tell me if we had to look to go ahead and uh -huh. run it. Uh -huh. thing, like, okay. So I'm up there and I'm, I'm waiting for Herb to say, okay, it's good, it's good, or it's no good, it's no good. And I don't hear nothing. It's crickets. I'm like, what? <laughs> we ran it, made the first down. And I, I asked Herb later, I said, what the hell? You're supposed to tell me, he said, I ain't making that damn call. That's a head coach. <laughs> <laughs> they had three drives of 80 plus yards right before that. So if it felt like that, that's because that's what was happening. So I absolutely, was, I mean, you were uh, playing fire if you had to punt that thing. Remember, uh, you know, the post game thing, I, for some reason it was in the locker, but anyway, we go back to the hotel and the hotel was packed. I mean, people everywhere. And I'm like, it was almost like maybe a little dangerous. I'm like, shit, our guys would be okay if you let us out. Ain't none of us right. I mean, the hospitality room was hopping until six in the morning. I think I, I think I was up until my I had a press conference at, at nine o'clock in the morning and I just had enough time to go in the room, take a shower, and 
go to the press conference. But now we had some great memories there. And I, and I still, you know, that's my home, West Virginia is. And I know, you know, there's still some bitterness about, you know, uh, when we left and all this kind of stuff, but it was, uh, we, we had an awful lot of good times and, and to this day, it's still, um, you know, it's fun to talk about and it's fun to go back and see people. Well, to that end, uh, the 800-pound gorilla in every interview you do is the pit game, right? You've talked about it. You've watched the tape, you know, and, uh, and, and it, look, I, I can account, I can do a post-mortem on that thing and find some reasons that it wasn't. My biggest concern going into that game, I, I, I thought we'd play ugly, but we'd win because we played, in my estimation, maybe the most complete game we played in your seven years in Morgantown the week before against the ranked UConn team. We played nearly perfect football. Now, what are the odds of 20-year-olds playing nearly perfect football and replicating that a week later, especially with so much on the line, the crazy environment of the rivalry? I thought we'd play ugly football, do just enough to maybe win 23 to 10, whatever it might be. I wasn't expecting this time capsule effort. But when you look at Pitt, what people don't talk about they had their quarterbacks hurt early in the year. That kind of derailed their chances for what they wanted to do as a team. They had an All-American candidate receiver in Kinder, you know, hurt, missed the whole year. What they were was a pretty good defensive football team. Uh, fifth in the country in total defense. Uh, you could argue that maybe the best player on the field that night, history has, has bared out that maybe it was LaShawn McCoy with what he went on to do in the NFL. So they obviously wanted to take the air out of it from the outset. I mean, Wanstead signed that extension earlier in the day. Uh, he didn't want to get 50 dropped on him like the last couple games against you guys. So he just wanted to keep it close and not embarrass himself and see where it goes from there. And the next thing you know, Pat gets dinged up. We turn the football over a couple times. One thing leads to another. Was there a specific moment in that game, Coach? That's, that's what I wanted to ask you, that you started to recognize. Look, you take every opponent seriously, and I absolutely recognize that you took that pit team seriously. But was there a moment that you thought, you know what? This is swinging their way, and they're starting to believe. What might have been that moment? I don't remember that moment in particular. I know I was like, geez, you know, we're not playing well. I'm not calling a good game. It's, uh, you know, there's like a lot of bad things that happen, but we were playing well enough defensively that, hey, we're going to, we can still, we're still going to win this thing. And I was still convinced that we were going to pull this out, even with all the stuff happening. We're going to make a play in the end where something's going to happen in the end, and we're going to pull this thing out and win, a, win an ugly one, but at least we're going to win an ugly one. And, and I think it was a fourth and two or something. And, and uh, I think we ran a triple option deal out of the gun and didn't, we didn't get it. And that was a shock. I was like, God, ah, I thought for sure we'd get that. But anyway, it was just, uh, it was a nightmare. It's obviously it's a nightmare to this day. So I don't even talk about it much other than the fact it was the worst moment of my athletic life. And, and it was just totally, I was, I was in the dump for quite a bit after that, even when we got the, the bid to play Oklahoma, you know, I was glad, okay, uh, you know, it's, you know, that, that's going to be a good thing. But I was in, I was down in the dumps for, for quite a bit. You were in a funk. There's no doubt about that. I mean, after, after that game, thanks, anybody that hey, knows thanks you, Jed for uh, bringing that back up, by the way, I really appreciate that dog. But coach that I always say this too. Yeah, we got our dang, we got our dang head coach back and you got to ask the worst <laughs> question ever. I mean, appreciate two numbers you. you'll never again see live in another game. Hit at the ball 36 minutes and only had 225 yards, you know. And uh, you won't ever see again see that they just they just took the air out of it. But the fourth three is what you were talking about. No, Noel returned it down to the 33 or so on the kickoff return, and uh, and then you you went triple option and it almost worked. But McKillop shed that block on Mike Dent and made a play. You're so damn brilliant. You remember every little thing. <laughs> I try to get most of the 
I forget most of the good stuff, let alone the bad stuff. I know I'm trying to forget the bad stuff. But anyway. Uh, well, what you've often said is if, if you had an opportunity, you would have liked to have said something to the fans after the game, right? I, I remember talking to you. You called me with your cell number from, from Ann Arbor with your new number. And that's one of the things we talked about. And, you know, here, you had a situation where your employer's telling you, your new employer's telling you, hey, don't do that. And, uh, you know, there's always mistakes. I mean, people that say they don't make or don't admit mistakes probably don't learn from, right? I've made yeah. And it was a mistake not to have a press conference explain why. And, you know, they're, like I said, uh, you know, Michigan didn't want me to say anything and they were my new employer, but I should explain why no matter what. And then, you know, there was like, why did you go, you know, the, the truth was I didn't, you know, we were, uh, why didn't you go to Alabama the year before and go to Michigan now? Well, we were better than Alabama at the time. And, you know, there, there was a lot of stuff and made, made some thing happen. Yeah. Some of the things that people gave, we, you know, the school didn't actually give and didn't really give. And then after the uh, the Michigan thing came on, I didn't tell Michigan I was taking the job at first. I wanted to stay at West Virginia, you know, wanted to win a national championship. It was coming harder, and I was losing coaches. And anyway, long story short, uh, I don't know if most people knew this, but I, I wanted a, about $50,000 total to keep assistant coaches, not for myself, because I was losing my co coaches, and they were good coaches. And this day, like, just total $50,000. And I was told by the president at that time, not Ford McGee was the president, but the president at that time, that we ain't doing anything. We've done all we can. Take it or leave it. I'm like, you mean you can't? They can't even look at this? Maybe to, you know we got a pretty good program going on right here. We're going to be really good in the next couple of years. We've done all we can. Take it or leave it. And I was like, okay, they, you know, I was still in a funk too from that last game. I was, I was one of them trying to happen again. But yeah. anyway. That was that was the extent of my conversation with the administration uh, leading up to taking the the next job. How close and, were we with Pryor? You know, I think we were in the conversation just because of we were doing scheme wise. I think he was interested in it, yeah. and you know, we had a pretty good relationship. I, I don't know if we were we were to beat Ohio State on him or not, but I, we were right. We'd have gone down the wire with him, but we were. I mean, with Pat and then. Uh, the young quarterbacks we had, we were able, we were able to because of Owen and all the players that were there. Yeah. We were more of a, I don't say a national brand, but we were coming more known. And so we we could go out and get that guy, that athletic quarterback guy, uh, in receivers and running backs and all that because of the Owen Schmitz and the Pat Whites and those guys, what they did on national TV those those last couple of years. You understand the culture of West Virginia as well as anybody, okay? There, there are schools that are developmental schools that are blue-collar programs like West Virginia, okay? And, and I would argue, and I have many times, that the new age of college football, really, it's college football 1.0 ended in 2020. From Princeton Rutgers 1869 up to 2020, college football 2.0 started with the portal and NIL. It's a whole new brand, a whole new sport, really. And I think it's a dagger to the heart of developmental programs because traditionally, when you look at the more successful teams in the history of the school, including the ones you coached, you had an opportunity to bring in undervalued kids that were kind of pissed off with a chip on their shoulder that they weren't recruited more than they were. You develop them for the course of three to five years and you start churning out more NFL talent than West Virginia has really ever had any business doing. And that was the model for, so that was the template. That was the pathway to success. And now programs like that, that are developmental programs, are the ones that are hit the hardest by this new age of college football. So what do you think 
those types of programs might be in position to do. I mean, you're a big culture guy, right? I think we would start with that. But what, what would be your take on that? Question. I think the answer to that question is yet is that you can still have both. You can adapt to what's going on now. This what they're doing now in college football is not sustainable. You know, they're eventually players are going to have to be under contract. There's going to be have to some kind of limitation salary yeah. cap because you can't pay players and and have uh, you know not have contracts and and all that stuff. So I think eventually that's going to get fixed in the next couple of years. But in the meantime, you know, you do what you can to create the right environment and culture while you're using your NIL collectives and your country roads trust and all that. So yep. I got third team not playing at all. It's not getting more than the starting right guard or the guy that's a, a backup, you know, he's coming in, a guy coming in is get your teeth getting paid more than a guy that's already been proven that kind of thing. So you got to establish to me, you can do both, but you establish your culture environment and at the same time, be able to have your players in this new age, feel like they're appreciated and you know i think sometimes it makes hard decisions and coaches have to be involved in that but i'm i'm convinced that you can do both you can have because they do it in the nfl now they have a salary cap and all that but they manage it pretty well and the best organizations in the nfl manage it the best they get their best players are getting the most money and then they have the vote the, the culture and environment that that everybody still wants to prove themselves you get the sense that we're about to undergo major changes in college football in the next year or two specifically, right? We've got to, and they're trying to get Congress involved. And you, you I mean, you think, I hope they get the inflation fixed first, right? And there's all kinds of, <laughs> no kidding. What's going on? I mean, we got all kinds of issues. So I don't know where college athletics is on, on, on their, their priority list, but I, I think it's, it's got to change what we're going right now. And, and uh, I think, you know, whether you give everybody, $50,000, whatever it is, and every player, I don't know if he can afford that, but, you know, I think there's going to be a bigger separation between the haves and have-nots. I think West Virginia is one of the – they're not maybe the uh, Alabama, Ohio State haves so much, but they are they have have more than a lot of the other power fives, I think, from what I understand. But uh, it's not always going to be easy because you're in a, you're in a different – you don't have as many alumni, you don't have – the same type of resources maybe and but i do know this that the people that and i'm just speaking for west virginia and some of the others power five schools that have a very very loyal fan base that they want to have success they'll do what they can to help do that and um, that to me is part of the deal in order to have success but it is more difficult and you, as a coach and as an athletic director as a president of the university you've got so many more things you got to manage uh, in this environment, and the NCAA is not giving you a whole lot of help because they're afraid of lawsuits. And so, yes, they are. Yeah, really difficult right now to be an athletic administrator, to be a president of the university, and coaching. It's it's a little bit more challenging too. But hell, we, you know, we're getting paid well enough to to try to to fix it. You know, we're level on the level I'm at now. The group of five. You know, the NIL thing is is a factor somewhat. From if you got a really good player, he's going to get bought, and we understand that. But uh, throughout our league, it's not as big a deal as it is Power Five, but you still got to manage it. And so we're all trying to navigate as we can. Well said. Coach, I want to I wanna bring back, you know, the bad, what we were talking about, the pick game. I, first and foremost to you, um, you know, never hard feelings. I feel like in my own eyes, I kind of saw college football as, as coaching the business start to develop.
saw the opportunity that you took was, uh, you know, now looking at the program from, you know, 10 years out, 15 years out, it's, uh, it's unfortunate that those money moves weren't made to, to make it happen because we've spent money on, in my opinion, some bad decisions um, as far as the coaching tree goes, but it is what it is. Um, I would have loved to see the legacy you could have kept on creating and built. And it's been fun to see you go on to, you know, Michigan, Arizona, and now currently where you're at. I wish Michigan would have gave you some more time there because I felt like you guys were just, you were right there on kind of getting that all developed into to the point where it was about to blow Michigan's mind because it wasn't the traditional, um, you know, football that they were used to kind of seeing. Um, but yeah, you know what I mean? But it's, it's, it's been great. And, and I hope you can rest easy and let that go because yes, we, we did literally probably have one of our worst, uh, if not the worst in mind too, as well. Uh, you know, moment in athletics together. Uh, and that, and it haunts me to this day. Usually I just punch people in the face and move on. Uh, unfortunately you probably can't, but, um, to let you know, to, to reassure you, Hey, it is what it is. Right. And, uh, and, and those, those moments have, have made us who we are going forward. So, uh, it, you know, it's, it's, I'm glad we got to chat a little bit too. Is this sound kind of Pollyannish or whatever, but, uh, you and Jed, two former, two former great players of mine, uh, everybody says, what's your ultimate goal as a coach? You know, everybody talks about winning. I'm, you know, we're all as competitive as can be one win championship and all that. But I said, my ultimate goal from a player's coaching standpoint is that if every player that I ever coached, if you ask them 10, 15, 20 years after they're done playing, would they do it all over again at the same place, at the same time, with the same people? And they said, yes, then I did my job. You know what I mean? And that's where, you know, maybe all of them said that, but I think a lot of them, you know, it wasn't just me. I was obviously their teammates and the other staff and everybody else around they truly loved the experience that they had being part of it while we were there. And that's never you say that. that. That's interesting. That's yeah. That's awesome. That's the good way of putting that, you know, and I, when I think you'd agree, it, it was a lot of hell, but it's hell I'd do all over again. You know, that's, that's it was tough, but again, Saturdays oh, man, were I easier because of it. Saturdays were easier because of it. I'd embrace it tomorrow, even at the age I am now. Honestly, it was, it was that much fun, man. I had so much purpose uh, being with that team and, and the people that believed in me and gave me the opportunities that I, that I was able to receive. It was, it was literally, you know, the best time of my life. Now I have a son Waylon and I hope he's able to enjoy those same kind of times because they really molded me into the person that I am today. I can remember. Go ahead. Uh, I said, you know, I always said the legend continues to grow. I said, I can remember. I probably this hard, but 10, 12 times after games, we won. Everybody's happy in the locker room. Owen's got his eyes are welting up, and he gives me a hug. And he said, Coach, thank you so much. He's got face bloody all over, face, face mask broke, and, you know, blood all over. And he's like, Coach, thank you so much for the opportunity. I'm like, are you shitting me? Thank you. <laughs> I said, it's kind of, I'm like, the epitome of the joy of coaching right there. I mean, that's, that's, that's where it goes. That's the top, that's the top memory. If you want to talk about memories, those are the top memories that I have. Real quick, 
did, did this start at Glenville? Because it's something that's followed you throughout your career. Strap it on the speech. Yeah. We've all heard it. Oh, and now, now I'll be honest with you, coach, that there were times, sometimes I was around there for it, but there were honest to God times I'd slip out of the locker room and I go back in the cage. Cause I didn't want to hear it. Cause I'm like, I, I mentally, I got to calm down. It's my job to try and outthink people. I'm going to run one through a damn brick wall. I mean, I, I, he's going to do that to me and I can't let him do it. So w- did that start at Glenville? Cause it seems to me like it did. I'm a big underdog first got there and, you know, so put a little more air in your helmet, right? Back then yeah. when you put, put a little more air in a helmet and it started then and it just became natural at, at, at West Virginia too. So, uh, and again, I've, you know, I've been blessed to be able to do this for, for quite a long time. And, and my family and I have, have enjoyed uh, being part of this profession. But more than anything else, we've enjoyed, you know, the, the, the guys, you know, the coaches I've worked with, the players I've played with, the people that support the program. I mean, you got, we could go on and tell stories forever. But, uh, and they're, and a lot of the good part is look, they're all true. You know what I mean? Yes, Some, that's right. I mean, I don't know if Owen broke 20 face masks. He might have broke seven. <laughs> it's 28 now. <laughs> it was, uh, I've sure enjoyed it. And uh, it's been a lot of fun. You know, there was a commercial, guys, that Glenville State had on TV for years and years and years. And there was a clip of Rich. And he was on the sidelines. And he was all animated. And you really couldn't see what he was saying. It was just the visual, right? Well, the, the quick backstory behind that. I told you earlier, when we first installed the offense, West Virginia State sacked me 20 times. Now, I, I can tell you from the conversation Rich had with my parents after the game, he took that personally, <laughs> okay? I mean, I was beat I was beat half to death, and he took it personally. Well, we shored things up, spent the offseason. He uh, streamlined the pass pro. We had all the man conversions in, and now we kind of dared you to run cover zero against us. We kind of dared you. We had answers, and oh, did we have answers. We we were begging people to run zero blitz against us, whereas before the zero blitz answer was I had to dodge the seventh guy, and that didn't work out too well for us, right? So here comes West Virginia State after sacking me 20 times the previous year. First series of the game, first third down we face, what do they do? Oh, when they line up in zero, they're bringing seven. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. So I make a check, just like we prepped all spring, cross face to our slot, Chris George. It was just instruments up. Easiest touchdown you ever scored, 75 yards. I put air under it. He made it look perfectly accurate. He goes 75 yards. Rich is chasing him down the sidelines, screaming over to the West Virginia State sidelines, bring the house, bring the house, bring the That's the footage they caught that they put in the Glenville commercial for 10 years. It was him screaming, bring the house. The, the story of telling you it ain't so much the coaching, it's the players. You know, right? You know, you you got the right guys to do the answer to it. I mean, to throw it and catch it and and all that, you're gonna have a chance. So, I think that the the the, the relationships that I've had, and I, you know, as a head coach, you gotta kind of be, you know, you gotta be, you know, the boss, so to speak, sometimes and all that. And so you don't probably get as to get to enjoy as many of those moments as probably you know, as maybe assistant coach. <laughs> But I, I, I've enjoyed it, and, and like I said, it was, you know, particularly the place when it was important. It was important at Glenville. And, you know, yeah. it's important. it's been important. It's important here at Jack State and in all the places. So, I've, like I said, I've had a I've had a, a thoroughly fulfilled career. And I don't think I'm done yet. I'm hoping i got five or six more years or so, maybe even more than that. I don't know. It's, I'm enjoying it. My daughter's working for me now. 
I've got a great staff, some guys that you guys know that, that have been with me a long time, Rod and Dusty and, and all those guys. So it's, 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 uh, it's fun again. Owen and I, I sometimes it. talk in code. We'll say things that West doesn't know what they were saying. Like we're talking <laughs> about orange eaters, right? He has no idea Probably. what he's talking about. <laughs> Just smile That might away. be one thing that I don't want to go through again, honestly. <laughs> Well, okay. So as we wrap this up and, and coach, I mean, you, we, you've given us about an hour of your time here. Thank you so much for, for doing great. this. I, I like, I've wanted to stay out of the way and, and let you guys, like, this has been awesome for me, you know, a, a guy who grew up, you know, a, a big fan of the program. I wanted to ask you about atmospheres and, and memorable in that regard. You know, we talked a little bit about biggest wins and those things, but um I grew up a WVU fan. Both my parents went to school there. That's where they met. My initials are WVU. My family's had season tickets forever. I have season tickets now. I take my daughters to the games. Um, I've been to probably close to 100 games at Mountaineer Field if I was going to go back and, and really count them all up. But the one that stands out to me is 2003 against Virginia Tech. Um, I was 13 years old. It, you know, Virginia Tech, they're coming off the, the, the Michael and Marcus Vick era. They had played for national championships. They're a perennial top five, top 10 program. And on a Wednesday night, uh, they come to Morgantown and get, and get spanked 28 to seven. And I was 13 years old. I rushed the field with one of my buddies. It was the last time fans have rushed the field there at Milan Pushkar at Mountaineer Field. It hasn't been allowed since. Um, Wednesday, like I said, which really started a tradition of these big weekday games, you know, Louisville on a weekday and Cincinnati and, and Auburn at one point, these, you know, Mountaineer Field, come here on a Wednesday, come here on a Thursday, and that's where your dreams and your hopes go to die. Like, I was 13 years old. I told my parents after that game, yeah, I'm going to school here. And, like, that was what really, like, I'd been a WVU fan my whole life because I was born into it, but that was my moment that really put it over the top for me. Still to this day, like I said, I've probably been to close to a hundred games there, but that's the one that if I could go back and do it all over again, I would. It, it, am I right in that regard? Or would you say, you know what, actually this game was a better atmosphere. Or is that the one, was that the best atmosphere ever in Morgantown when you were the head coach? There, that was one I'm sure I remember that. I remember the Louisville double triple overtime game was pretty neat too, but I remember Virginia tech game. This is when I remember telling ESPN, before uh, those seasons that, hey, I'll play any night of the week as long as it's national TV because it'll raise a profile of the program, the school, the state, everything like that. But I remember that game, and I think Quincy or somebody had a big game. Well, we, Quincy, anyway, yeah, he had like 170-some rushing yards, yeah. Uh, at, you know, fans rushed the field, and I was in the locker room with the team afterwards, and somebody came and got me and said, would you get on the PA system and tell the fans they have to disperse? I'm like, wow. <laughs> Time they say, Coach, you know, there's there's guys that are taking a leak under the under the goalposts right now, <laughs> and they're peeing. <laughs> oh, maybe we got to go ahead and get on down to Sunnyside or something right there. So, yeah, we went out there and told them they they were they're gonna party like rock stars after that one. But yeah, they ain't no better than, than Mountaineer fans. And I don't know when. Well, yeah, least, I know I read some were one of the great the best traditions in sports, in particular college sports, is seeing country roads and i don't remember when we started that but i do it was somewhere around that time mm -hmm. that we say hey we're gonna sing if we win only only if we win we're gonna sing and that thing is just it still is kind of a, it's kind of touching to see that you know when they sing country roads i'm sure the fans you know look forward to that part of it yeah they embrace the daylights out of that that's i think it was like part way through the time you were here mm -hmm. yeah a few years into it but but uh it's developed into something that's just great song that, for the yeah, it's great. It's fun. 
that Virginia Tech night, Wes, it's the first time I ever tasted pepper spray. And I was too oh, me too. Away. Yeah. Me too. I, too I, said I, I said I rushed the field. I was being honest, but I was only on the field for about 90 seconds. <laughs> I was like, I got to get out of here. I'm not... Taking a leak on the five-yard line, were you? I was not. I was not. I was not. I promise. I, pro- I got too much respect for the hallowed ground that is Mountaineer Field to take a leak right there on the field. All right. But my buddy did steal a Virginia Tech football that he still has oh, one of their one of their footballs from that game. Perfect. So not only we did they get a loss, yeah. yeah. Not only did they get a loss, they also went back to Blacksburg down one football. So we really we really <laughs> left the mark there. Co- uh, Coach, I'll get out of the way. I'll let these guys kind of say their goodbyes. But again, thank you so much for the time. We really appreciate it, and, and all the best this year with Jacksonville State. Wishing you wishing you all the best out there. Appreciate it. Yeah, Coach. Yeah, Coach. Is, go ahead, Wes. Oh, and you go first. Yeah, just thanks for coming on and talking. It's been great to kind of reminisce and just see your uh, ugly mug there. And, uh, you know, I'll probably have nightmares about getting MF'd about missed assignments tonight. But, uh, no, honestly, <laughs> it, such a great inspiration in my life. Uh, I appreciate everything you've done for, for myself and, and, and multiple players, everybody that I've played with and, and those players to come. And, uh Keep doing what you're doing. I love I love hearing about all the good stuff, and I love seeing the coaching tree and and the the branches that have extended out, and seeing all those guys at different places as well, and the success that everybody's having. So, thanks again for coming on, and and uh, I miss you, big dog. And and uh, you know, and I want and, and and Jed both everybody. He's kind of people ask who name me some of your favorite players. It's like asking you who's your favorite kid, your son or your daughter. I mean, you love them all unconditionally as much as you can. But if you're going to mention, if you're on this, uh, a Mount Rushmore of, of Coach Ross, some of Coach Rod's uh, top guys he's been with, Owen Schmidt and Jed Drenning are right there. I promise you that. And and we still brag and talk about both of you guys. Well, I'll say this. We, we almost got through the entire show without referencing the tweet where Pat gave you hell for being soft when you had the two dogs up on National Pet Day, right? <laughs> but, uh, we even covered that on the show, guys. Remember last year? But I, I'll say this, we, we've always said, Coach, I've known you since I was in high school when Eric Alcar was playing for you at Salem and you were living with Lonnie Warwick, living on uh, macaroni and cheese out of Lake Floyd, right? Uh, but I've known you forever. And I got the sense when I transferred to Glenville, it was kind of a partnership as much as a coach-player relationship. And, and boy, you and I, game day, we'd scream at each other like husband and wife, but it was all just <laughs> perfectly in sync because we wanted the same thing. Uh, and, and it worked out great. And you've surrounded yourself with a lot of my close friends throughout the course of your career. So I've obviously tracked and pulled for you throughout the whole thing. You got buddies of mine on staff right now. So I'm a Jack State fan, uh, pulling for you all the way through. But can't uh, can't say uh, how much we appreciate you coming on here and giving us more than, than enough time to really have some fun and, and uh, talk about the good and some of the bad. But this was this was terrific. And and uh, this is exactly the type of thing that I, I think is uh, entertaining college football content, guys. Well, you're, you're, you're my guys, and, and we love you, appreciate you, and please give your families all my best, all our best, Miss Reed and I, all our best. Yeah, tell them we said hey. Ladies and gentlemen, Rich Rodriguez, Coach, thank you so much again for doing this. For Jed Drenning and Owen Schmidt, thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We'll talk to you next week. You've been in the gun. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. 
You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.